Good morning, Christ Church. Today's our, what we call, kickoff Sunday, where we kind of get back into the groove of things that we do throughout the year and then sometimes pause during the summer, like small groups. Small groups are kicking back up over this next week. You'll see people in blue shirts. Those are people who are small group leaders, and we'll say more about after the service. We've got a backyard party where you can go out there. There's snow cones and people, fun, and it's really a family fun kind of environment. So head on out after the service and, um, and connect with some of the people who are going to help you understand some of what's going on with group life here at Christ Church. But again, we'll say more about that in a minute. Um, but today we're going to talk some about community. And what is this? The life of the church together. I saw an interesting study about the ways that different cultures advertise. There's different things at work in different cultures. And this study focused on the difference between ads in the U.S. and ads in Korea. And um, one is a more individualistic society, and the other is more communal. And so in the U.S., for instance, they try to sell ego. That's what, this is kind of like how they frame the ads and how the product can foster uh, a kind of sense of, of what it can do for you. Whereas in Korea, what they're selling is social connectedness and how it contributes to a feeling of, of harmony, of belonging so you have, for instance, this is kind of a classic age-old ad goes way back in, uh, when the army was recruiting, and they developed the slogan, be all you can be. It was very much kind of an individualist, kind of ego-based appeal, classic U.S. pitch. Toyota had this, uh, they, they looked at this study where Toyota did ads in the U.S., did ads in Korea. And then the Toyota pitch was, I love what it does for me here in the U.S., um, and that succeeded, but listen to what worked in Korea that worked better. The best relationships are lasting ones, Toyota quality. That's what worked in Korea. It just says so much if you just see how, how are people connecting, how are advertisers connecting with the culture. When researchers Song Pil Han and Sharon Shavit tested um, chewing gum ads in both cultures, uh, they found something similar. They found that this worked in one culture. Treat yourself to a breath-freshening experience. Now, that worked in one culture. In another culture, here's what worked. Share a breath-freshening experience. <laughs> so you can guess which was which. As Americans, we love our independence. This country was founded with something we call the Declaration of Independence. And we've been declaring it ever since. Um, it's just part of our culture and who we are. We've been taught that happiness is the result often of this kind of independence. That if I'm financially independent, if I'm relationally independent, if I'm independent in every way, then I'll have control over my life, my circumstances, and I will be most joyful, most happy. And yet we've never had more unhappy people than now. Suicide rates continue to go up. And why? Why is that? Because that's not the answer. The truth is joy does not come from being independent, isolated, living your life with all the barriers up and the masks up and keeping people at arm's distance. Those are not part of a formula for joy because that's not how we're made. Joy comes from living the way God wired us, the way he made us, from mutual love, from interdependence from community. 
It's what we were created for. So this morning, I want to talk some, again, about community, and we're going to start, as always, with what Scripture tells us, and, um, and begin with this. Relationship, relationship is at the center of the universe and the center of our soul. It is fundamental to being. In John 17, Jesus is about to go to the cross and then be resurrected, ascend to the Father. He knows that there's final moments with his disciples, and he has a few last kind of, he has a prayer. It's called the, great, the high priestly prayer. And beautiful, long extended, longest prayer of Jesus that we have. And here's part of what he prays in John 17 at the end of his life. The glory that you and you as his Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that, and here's the glory, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So you can see he's constantly, in this whole phrase, he's tying together, connecting this kind of oneness that the Father and the Son share with the oneness that his friends would share with each other, and that those two are very connected to each other. Here at the very center of the universe is relationship in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here at the center of our soul is relationship, designed, wired for this. You can hear that oneness between the Father and the Son in this passage. Well, just a little bit later in the Gospel of John, Jesus, again, is talking to his friends. He commissions his friends to carry out his mission when he's gone, to keep his mission going forward. And he tells them, he says, I'm going to send my spirit. I'm not going to be with you in person, but I'm going to be with you through the power and the presence of the spirit. And so you have this constant kind of cooperation and communion going on. The father, the son, and the spirit in sync with each other. I like the way I heard it put recently. The Christian God is not just a unit, but a union. Not just a unity, but a community. One God and three persons living in unceasing mutual love. That's at the heart of everything that exists. So let's go now back to the beginning of the Bible, when this Holy Trinity was all that there was all that existed, and in the overflow of the mutual love of the Trinity and the overflow of that love, creation comes. Every living thing and the entire cosmos is the overflow of the love, the mutual love of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, creating the world. And then God said, let us make humans in our image according to our likeness, so we are made in the very image of that God, that triune God that I just described. We're created not just to be a unit, but created for relational union. We're created not just to be in unity as the absence of division. We're created for community, which is the activity of mutual self-giving love. Romans 12 puts it this way, since we are all one body in Christ, there's that word one again, since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, 
And each of us needs all the others. I recently read a theologian describing the way that we humans mirror the triune God as the image and likeness in this way. He writes, each social unit, the family, the school, the workshop, the parish, the church universal, is to be made an icon of the Trinity. Because we know that God is three in one and each of us is committed to living sacrificially in and for the other, and each is committed irrevocably to a life of practical service, of active compassion. We are icons of the triune God. I love that terminology, that image. Many of us, however, many of the social units of the world that he's referring to are not living as icons of the Trinity. Instead, we find fragmentation, we find isolation. One therapist made this observation, therapist and author, said, if you talk to any therapist today, the problems we see mostly are mood disorders, depression, anxiety, loneliness, social detachment. As blessed as we are as Americans, as prosperous as we are, there's all this depression. So where is it coming from? I'm convinced it's rooted in the loss of refrigerator rights relationships. Now, some of you have heard that phrase. It's kind of been making its way around for the past 20 years, and it comes from a sociologist who coined it. And it's a delightful phrase describing the kind of friends who can come over to your house They can greet you, they can walk in the door, they can walk straight to the kitchen, open the refrigerator, and make themselves a sandwich in your kitchen. That kind of friend has refrigerator rights, and you can do that at their house. There's a kind of intimacy that just says, bypasses all those formalities and just says, hey, I know you, you know me, I love you. Um, And so this is kind of the sharing of life together. So the Bible shows us that we were created for this kind of relationship, community. We were made for each other. We need each other. This life together with Jesus, it's a long journey, and that's what it is. It is a, it's a path. It's a journey through terrain that can be really twisty and treacherous, and sometimes we wonder if we're going to make it to the end. I need others to walk with me. I need you to walk with me. I need friends to walk with me, and you need each other. In other words, I need people to help me grow spiritually. The Bible says in Colossians, just as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. That metaphor of walking is all over the New Testament to describe this is what it means to be a Christian. The Bible often calls your spiritual life your walk. It calls it that because it's not just a sit-down thing. Life is something in which there's constant moving. There's always growing. It is a journey. There's a destination to get to. We're trying to not stay stuck. We're trying to go somewhere. We're trying to go somewhere together. And so the best and the most frequent metaphor that we see is this pathway, walking kind of language. All throughout Scripture, and particularly in the New Testament, We are to, for instance, walk in the light, walk in love, walk in obedience. We're to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We're to walk as Jesus walked. We're to walk 
in wisdom. So here's a pop quiz. What was the first word ever used to name what these new Christians uh, were doing? The hint is, it wasn't Christianity. It wasn't called Christianity. What was it called? The way you passed. Good job. The way that before, before anybody had any kind of terminology, we have all kinds of language for it now, like the earliest description of what this thing is that you and I are doing is we are called followers of Jesus. What does following imply? That we, there's a way that we're walking with him. So we are living in the Jesus way. We're walking in the Jesus way. And that's kind of the purest way to describe what it means to trust Christ with our lives. This is the word used for the path we walk. But one of the important things is this, that God never intended for me or for you to walk that path alone. We can't do it by ourselves. Never. God never intended for you to walk through life alone. Now, some of you say, well, what's wrong with that? I like to walk alone. I prefer to be alone and to walk alone, and I get my own way when I walk alone. And that's part of the problem, isn't it? That we're not learning cooperation and humility and relationship. We're not learning love. And God says, I want you to walk through life with other people in close relationship with you. We need support, encouragement. We need strength from each other to persevere just to get through this life and this path. We can't do it by ourselves. If you've ever run a marathon, you know what I'm talking about. Any marathon? Anybody here ever run a marathon? And if you have, you hit that wall. And everybody talks about the wall around mile 20, 21. And it makes all the difference in the world if you hit that wall and you're running like in a competition or with a group versus by yourself. It's just there's something about everybody going together and you think, oh, I can do this. I'm staying with the group. I'm in, I'm in this community. I can take another step. And you press through the wall. Well, we hit a wall in spiritual life. Our spiritual lives hit walls sometimes several times through life where it feels like, I can't get through this. I can't move forward anymore. And that's where we need each other to carry us along, through the wall. This path that we are walking or running requires the companionship of each other. We need each other if we want to go far, but we also need each other not simply to make it to the end, but also to grow to grow in wisdom. You'll learn a whole lot more when you go through life with other people close to you. And I'm not just talking about casual friends. I'm talking about people who are in true fellowship with you. People that are close in your life and you might say kind of like in your business. And if it feels a little uncomfortable, that's good. That's okay. That's part of what it means to, to, to really have that kind of shared life and intimacy and vulnerability. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, if you think you know it all, you're a fool for sure. No minced words there. Real survivors learn wisdom from others. In other words, if I'm the only one who thinks it, guess what? I'm probably wrong. Listening to the counsel of many, gathering insights, and especially those who have known us and walked with us for a while, can help us in that kind of sifting those sifting moments of life, those discerning moments of life. I need you to help me 
Hear the Holy Spirit. We need each other to listen to God together. We all have blind spots, every one of us. There are things in our lives that we can't see for ourselves, and we need others to see them with us and for us and point them out. Now, if you're the one doing that, be gentle, but we need people to gently help us to see those blind spots. Somebody's got to tell you, you've got a taillight on, right? If you're driving, you can't see that. You need somebody to roll down the window or flash the lights and say, hey, your taillight's out. Hopefully, somebody tells you if you're unzipped. If that ever happens to me, you say, hey, Cliff, you're unzipped. I'll really appreciate it. Don't be awkward about it. And if you've got salad in your lettuce in your teeth, I'll say, hey, you've got lettuce in your teeth. And you will say, thank you, Cliff, because that's what friends do for each other. I need others to watch out for me. We need to be the kind of people that just look out for the needs, the blind spots, the character issues. The, if we're headed in a direction where we say, uh, I see my friend going, uh, making decisions and going in a direction that I think is going to hurt them or hurt other people's, to figure out how to gently step into that moment and, um, and speak a word of encouragement, of hope. Hebrews 13 says, keep being concerned about each other as the Lord's followers should. Keep. I mean, it's not, not a one-time thing. Keep on looking out for each other. Be concerned for each other. Followers of Jesus ought to take care of each other. Other people in the church. It means being vigilant in that over and over and inviting others to do that in our life as well. The Bible is just full of this kind of wisdom, this value placed on doing life together in relationship, in community. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. That's why we need groups of friends. That's why we have small groups at Christ Church. That's why we need each other and to walk in this life together alongside other people. So here's a question. Think about it a little bit. Who is watching your back? Is there somebody that's standing back to back with you? Somebody who's so close that they're helping you and make sure you don't fall into some of the the traps that we all fall into, anybody like that in your life? Now let me flip it and ask this. Think about this. Who in your life are you doing that for? Whose back are you watching? Who's, who are you standing back to back with? And there might be several people where you're looking out for them. You're walking with. You're saying, you know what? I'm going to be with you through thick or thin. I'm going to be with you. We have a saying here at Christ Church that you've probably heard if you've been here a while, and that is, no one stands alone. And it pops up again and again. This is a high value here. It's something that we aspire to, to live out. As one of your priests, I feel this deeply. There are many situations in life that no one should ever have to go through alone. No one should ever have to sit alone in a hospital waiting for a life or death surgery of a loved one and the report and how that's going. A woman should never have to wait alone while she's waiting back for a lab test from a, a problem pregnancy. No one should ever have to be alone to wait for the news from the battlefield or a deployment 
and news from the front of what's going on. No one should ever have to sit in a home waiting for coroners to identify the body of someone who just had a heart attack. Shouldn't have to wait alone. Shouldn't have to stand alone at an open grave. But people around that love you and cry with you or just be silent with you. No man or woman should ever have to spend the first night alone when her husband dies or his wife dies. Or no man or woman should ever have to spend the night alone after the husband walks out or the wife walks out. These are the moments that illustrate what, how essential it, it is that we have these kind of relationships in our lives where there are people who, who are standing back to back with us and who are walking the way with us, helping us to persevere. Now, you might resonate with that and say, that's true. I need others to stand with me. And the other side of the coin is to say, that's true. I need to stand with someone. I need to stand with this person in my life, this friend, this coworker, this family member, so that they can walk in the company of Christ. They can walk in the company of others and not alone. So now notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul's talking about when you get together as a community, when you gather, each one of you be prepared with something useful for all. Sing a hymn, teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight, take your turn with no one person taking over. That way you all learn from each other. Now, does that sound like something that we do here on a Sunday morning? No, I don't, I don't say, hey, anybody got a story this morning? Anybody got a poem? Got some prayer requests right now? And we're just, it's too big in this setting that we would love to be able to do those kinds of things. And we do those kinds of things in a different setting. And following the early church, as soon as the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church started gathering together, you know how they did it? They gathered, it says, you can read this in Acts, in the temple courts, in larger crowds, in numbers like this, and then house to house. And ever since then, the church has had some kind of combination, two wings of the plane, if you will, where it puts together the temple courts and house to house. The things that, like this that Paul's speaking about that can only happen in a smaller group of people and the things that can only happen when we gather like this and putting them together. That's part of healthy spirituality. The way that we do that here, principally, there are other forms of community life that happen but kind of the bread and butter, the main way we do that is small groups. And I mentioned earlier that we're kicking them back off after the summer, and you can go out to the backyard and find out, like, what nights of the week? Is there one in your part of town? Learn, meet the leaders, find out about the different groups. But I'd like right now to invite Bonnie to come up. Bonnie McQuitty has been in a small group for a while, and, um, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her experience in a small group. There you go. Come on over here. Everybody welcome Bonnie. So let's start with this. How, how long have you been at Christchurch? About a year and a half. All right. And you moved here. Where, what, tell us a little bit before that. What, where had you been? Uh, all over the place, quite literally. <laughs> I was overseas in East Asia for about 10 years, 
came back during COVID, um, lived with my folks for the first five months, and then lived in Florida for 2020 to 21, and then um, fall of 20, yeah, fall of 21, I moved to Austin. Yeah. So you moved to Austin, and did you know a lot of people here? I have a handful, yeah, yeah maybe okay. four or five. Yeah. After you, so you started coming to Christchurch, and um, and settle like this is where God's calling me. And then after you started Christchurch, how long was it before you got into a small group? I would say probably within my first month of like consistently coming to Christchurch, I went to my first small group. So pretty wow. pretty quickly. You jumped right in. Mm -hmm. That's um that's a hard thing to do when yeah. when you're new to a city and you really don't know people. You show up at a church, you don't know everybody, you don't know really know anybody. Um, and, but there's something, I find it more Im intimidating um, to then show up at a small group than in a setting. Like, you can be kind of anonymous mm -hmm. in a room like this. Mm -hmm. You show up to a small group, and, um, and what was that like when you visited some small groups and you really didn't know anybody? Yeah, I can still remember my first small group at Lindsay Sweeney's house, and I kind of waited to see more cars drive up and pull to the side, and I waited for a Smart. few people just to make sure I was at the right place. And, um, and not the first person there. Right, not the yeah. first person, never want to be the first person, but I also don't want to be the last person either, so kind of made a little <laughs> middle, middle road. Um, but immediately felt welcomed, and um, we did like an icebreaker, a little question thing, everyone around. And I found out that very first night that I actually had some connections from my life overseas to a few people in that room, hmm. and um, and even just some common interests with other people. So um, yeah, that very first night was, um, yeah, I'm still a part of that same small group now. So um, hmm. it was very risky and very intimidating, but I'm very glad I did it. <laughs> so you ended up staying at the same small group that you visited, the first small group you visited? Mm -hmm. Yeah? That's cool. That, not everybody does that, by the yeah. way. If you want to visit some small groups, it's okay. You can, you know, not gonna, if you visit one and then go end up at another one, you're not going to like hurt anybody's feeling. You can yeah. visit different small groups before you decide where you want to. But for you, it was the first one. And what are some ways that um, small group has been important to you or helped you grow? Yeah, I think um, it's, well, A, it's been a huge source of just general community for me. But then if you take it in terms of um, what you were just sharing about growing in faith, growing in walks with the Lord personally, but also communally. I think it's really helped stretch my um, perspective. I think because my small group, there are people from so many different uh, stages of life and faith backgrounds, and um, I've just learned a lot just from their experience, um, and that's really challenged me in what I'm bringing into so, um, yeah, A, I think it's just really challenged me in how I think about the, the Christian life and walk and what church means, what community means, um, and living out the gospel, I think, has just been um, really encouraged and stretched yes. through my small group. Mm -hmm. Can you think of an example, um, a specific example, where there was just some way where that small group the particularity of those people and the particularity of what you were kind of bringing connected mm -hmm. in, in a way that ministered to you? Yeah, um, I very practically, um, in the spring we did our Godspeed series in our small groups, and um, the heart of that series was 
um, going at God's speed and figuring out pace and Sabbath rest, but also doing it in, within community, within a community of, of people. And um, a small group that week was actually at my house. I was hosting it just the one time. And uh, two of the questions that were brought up in that time was, um, what are some ways where it's hard for you to ask for help? And what is one or two ways that you can ask for help in the coming week? And I, <laughs> um, very, yes, very much that typical independent American, strong, single woman vibe. It's really hard for me to ask for help in general. Um, I'm a helper. Um, and so I love to help others, but it's really hard for me to ask others to help me. And so um, Lindsay asked that question, and I was staring at my TV, which was on my little console table. But back uh, at Christmas, I had gotten a TV mount and a sound bar that I had been planning to like mount on my wall and have you know this nice little TV display. But that was six months ago and I hadn't gotten around to it and I knew that I was just going to have to ask TaskRabbit or someone to come out and do it. But Lindsay asked that question and I was like, am I about to ask someone in this group to help put my TV up? Mm. But I felt the spirit tell me, yes, you should just ask. So I did. And um, yeah, Jonathan Lindsay immediately was like, yeah, sure, I've got a whole toolkit. I'll come over. You just tell me when, and me and Brave will come over. And so sure enough, like a week and a half later, they came over. Um, the plan was that they were going to come early before small group, um, but it took a little longer than that. It took about six hours. They stayed. <laughs> they stayed until like 10, 30, 11 at night to put this TV up. And Bree and I, honestly, we just sat and ate pizza and watch Jonathan do it, but um, <laughs> we helped as best we could, but um, yeah, and I, we, we even joked like, hey, this is our small group for tonight, and it's sweet because, yeah, I got to know them better, and I think they got to know me better, and it was through the lens of them serving me and for me allowing them to serve and help me in a very practical need that I had, and I think that's just been a jump start for me to be more vulnerable and take risks mm. and asking for help. Mm. Uh, it, it, we talk a lot, I think, more about uh, kind of the call and the challenge to serve and help others and, and get past obstacles or our own convenience to serve and help others. But it is really hard. The other side of that is actually maybe harder is to ask for help than to, to help. And being in a community, it's cool how there, that you, there was, you were prompted, like, what are some things that are hard to ask for help with? Um, and are there times where it just feels like there are obstacles? Like, what are some of the obstacles to, to getting there, to being in a small group? Uh, I think just getting past your own reasoning and thinking. I think, for me, um, it's, I mean... I think at my age in general, it's, a it's getting a little harder just to make new friends in general, but you can meet people all over the place. Austin is, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of different groups and smaller areas where you can connect with people, but it's another thing to step into a faith <laughs> community um, where you're really, like you said, like calling each other out um, gently. Um, but calling, calling each other out and helping each other 
um, yeah, walk, um, walk in that obedience to the Lord. And um, that takes um, humility <laughs> to be, to be, um, to have people speak into your life. Um, and that's really daunting if you're going into a new small group, you're trying out a small group. And I think for me, it's that big question of, will I be accepted here? Will I be known here? Can I be myself here? Um, mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a big challenge, and it's one that I know a lot of people, it's, that's that big hurdle, is getting over just that fear of mm. being known mm. and, and pursuing other people. Yeah, well, well, well done, overcoming those obstacles, taking those steps, and showing up at a small group. And I, I just, I, you illustrated something in the story you tell, I just want to comment on how often I've experienced this, spending most of my life, adult life, in small groups of how a lot of what happens is it's the things that spill out of the scheduled meeting, like that moment at your house, you know, or a meal of a few people getting together or a fun night or something, uh, or a crisis that people gather around, but out, outside of the actual meeting that the community begins to just like start overflowing the, the cup of the actual night of the meeting. Um, everybody, let's thank Bonnie. Thank you, Bonnie. All right, we're going to wrap up with um, something I want to invite you to do with me. And we have, we've done this periodically every year or so. I'll put this up um, to call us again to this prayer of Jesus in John 17. And here's the twist. It's that prayer that I started with, um, for the great high priestly prayer. But he's, every time he says one, we're going to substitute the word community or true community because he's praying for this everybody to be one. So we're going to call that community. Every time he talks about the world... Because um, he's, he's praying that the, his followers would be an icon to the world. And so wherever it says world, we're going to say localize that as the city of Austin. And, um, and then he also is praying for everybody, not just his friends that are there with him. He's praying for everybody who's going to follow him through the witness of his friends, which is every generation of the church, including us. He's praying for us in that prayer. So wherever he says believers, we're going to particularize that and, um, and pray and, and insert the word Christ church. So would you join me now? Speak out and let's, uh, let's say these words of the gospel together, particularized to our context. My prayer is not for the disciples alone. I pray also for Christ church who will believe in me through their message. That Christ church may be a true community, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may Christ Church also be in us so that the city of Austin may believe that you have sent me. I've given Christ Church the glory that you gave me, that they may be a true community as we are a true community. I in them and you in me. May Christ Church be brought to the fullness of community to let the city of Austin know that you sent me and have loved the city of Austin even as you have loved me. Amen.